Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning, Kyrgyzstan. Good morning, Afghanistan. Good morning, well, any Stan you want. If your name is Stan, that's an extra bonus point for you. Good morning, Vietnam, etc., etc. I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. It is episode 125. Am I going to be doing this to the day I die? Well, if that's tomorrow, then I suppose I am. It's hardly a retirement plan, though, is it? Anyway, I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band trying to make sense, etc., etc. Your hostess with the leastest, all that kind of thing. So let's get all of the bits and pieces out of the way before I have a little bit of a discussion about the odd thing that's been happening um, lately, and that is that the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. If you're in North America, use the promo code ALAN and you can get 10% off your order, etc., etc. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, Nemthiang underscore primordial, primordial underscore official, all those kind of things. I have some interesting interviews coming up soon, some more video chats. Some of you have been asking me, where the hell is Joe from Gamma Bomb? Where the hell is Adi from Solstafir? Um, some people have told me that uh, our kind of little chats were a good excuse to crack open a beer and listen to some people waffle, waffle on about this and that and the other. The kind of thing we used to do in person, in the pub, over a beer, like heavy metal nerds that we are, etc., etc. I do promise I will try and get to the story about the worst gig I, well, the worst gig I ever played. Um, I'm going to talk about a few other things first. You know those kind of podcasts where they go, uh, point one on the agenda, point two on the agenda, point three, etc., etc. Dread Sovereign, um, my alter ego, is playing in Metal in Void, W-O-I-D, on Thursday evening. And then I shall be um, trusting in the airline industry to bring me back safe and sound on the Friday. Um before Primordial is playing in Dublin this Saturday. So, um, for any of you traveling over to the gig, 
Um, I do apologise for the sorry state of uh, what Dublin has become as regards the hospitality industry. Um, yes, it's going to be one of those podcasts where I sound upbeat and put on some stupid accents and all that kind of thing. If you're listening and you don't really know what I'm saying, um, someone told me the other uh, weekend that they uh, put my podcasts on to make their child go asleep because they like the sound of my voice. Well, isn't that comforting? And that's my middle name, Comfort. Anyway, so what am I talking about? Yes, indeed. I saw one poor, um, unfortunate posting on um, her social media that uh, the price of Airbnbs and, ho- and hotels and that kind of thing in Dublin uh, this Saturday, and some of them were one and 2,000 euro. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, unfortunately, you have picked the same weekend as Mr. Garth Brooks, who I talked about in the previous podcast, to be playing in Dublin. And it's just outrageous. There should be some sort of cap on these things. But um, hotels and all that kind of stuff, are, they're just running amok. They're jumping up and down in the puddle, splashing people, stamping their feet, trying to get their way any which way they can. But we made no money for two years, so we will price gouge to the nth degree. Anyway, I apologize. Should I be apologizing for that? Well, I will apologize when I'm mayor. Um, the mayoral campaign is soon to start. What a mayor I would be. Anyway, what am I talking about? I'm going to talk about a few different things today. Like I said, hopefully get to the story of the worst gig I ever played. Uh, well, in my opinion, anyway. Um, you might be there and you might go, oh, wasn't that bad. Um, much more fun and insightful to talk about unmitigated failures when you fall flat on your ass than successes. Uh, who needs to hear about those, eh? You can get your motivational speaking uh, elsewhere, if in case you need some. But a few things I'll discuss before I get to that. And to whet your appetite, it does end with someone in the band discharging a firearm and me almost setting myself on fire. I mean, who wouldn't wait to hear those stories? Anyway, so I've done a few interviews lately for a rather wide range um, of platforms from uh, TV shows in the Balkans and um, publications Um, quite far and wide recently. And I've got asked a few things that I thought I could ruminate on for the first half of the podcast. Um, It is rather odd being asked as an Irishman, um, even though, as you probably know, if you follow the podcast, that I have a slightly different upbringing and um, past, I suppose, heritage maybe to um, your average common or garden Irish person, if I can deign to call people that. Um... But um, lots of people have been asking me about the death of the Queen. The death of the Queen. I mean, is that really relevant to me? I can't tell you. um, I can tell you the amount of times in interviews or conversations I've done over the last 20, 30 years that I've had with people where they still don't really understand that the Republic of Ireland, clue is kind of in the name, is a republic Um, And this implies a country which does not have a monarchy. They don't really also understand that and we aren't in the United Kingdom. All that kind of thing. You have to sort of rake over uncomfortable or um, sometimes, you know, revealing in a sort of odd way when they stare at you with a Joseph or go, oh, hang on. I thought you guys were, um, I thought you guys were using sterling and all that kind of thing. Oh, you guys are a different country. Okay, all right. Um, Of course, I suppose, post-Brexit, trying to explain to some people that you couldn't, as Ursula von der Leyen wanted, um, a hard border between South and Northern Ireland. 
I mean, you tried to explain to people over the last two or three years who interviewed me during, um, I suppose, lockdown and um, prior to the lockdown. And you had to kind of explain that you can't really have a hard border as, well, all hell would break loose, etc. Well, why is that? And then you have to go back through Irish history. Um, some people really want to know the Irish history. Some people really uh, don't and still haven't got a clue. And the amount of people who still um, have found it confusing. I get it. It is confusing. But hang on, Northern Ireland have their own football team. It's true. And that's a really weird anomaly. Hey, I'm talking about football again. But the fact that there's a Republic of Ireland football team and a Northern Ireland football team, there shouldn't really be, according to FIFA's rules, a Northern Irish football team. But there is, and there's Wales, and there's Scotland, and there's England as well. Um, I think these were political decisions made uh, to stop, well, whatever was going to happen. Um, back in the day, some sort of, I don't know, football rampage. Rampage is the wrong word. Why did that pop into my head? I must have been thinking about wrestling or something. I was never into wrestling, so where did that come from? Who knows? Anyway, point being that, um, like I said, a republic implies a country which is not a monarchy. And many people still don't really understand that we aren't in the United Kingdom. Haven't, you you know, it's uh, the Civil War was about 100 years ago, all that kind of stuff. Um, And they don't understand all that kind of thing. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. And it means that you get to... Um, you know, correct people's views on history, um, or at least my opinion of history. It means you get to actually um, answer interviews like that or answer questions like that in interviews. You're not just talking about, oh, the blah, 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 the boring drum sound, or isn't it great to be at a festival and um, whatever else. Um, Not everyone is obliged, of course, to know Irish history. I mean, I've just been in the Balkans and, um, you know, you have to be careful of the, and no pun intended, landmines you step on by going from Bosnia to Serbia to Kosovo to all those kind of places between uh, the people that you meet and the opinions that you express. Um, and once upon a time, I get it, that was also Ireland and people treaded carefully. People have treaded less carefully for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And that's, I suppose, the um, ignorance is the relative benefit of what would we would call the peace process. It doesn't really bother me anyway to explain these things. So if you're coming to interview Primordial, I suppose it might be helpful, but maybe you just want to talk about how we got the guitar sound and how do you write your lyrics, um, and this all leads you to this point of confusion. That's fine. Um, so I got asked three times in a row about the death of the Queen. I mean, I'm relatively unmoved by the whole thing, but it does... Um, feel like something rather symbolic is at an end. Um, something from the old world. I mean, she is, I think, apart from Louis the Fourteenth, the longest reigning monarch in history. Is it? Is she not? And she wasn't intended um, for the throne. There was some. Um, I'm not going to try and explain the English history of the English monarchy, but there was some abdication, which meant at ten years old, I think, that she found out she was going to become queen, etc., etc. Um, And you can say what you want about the ridiculous notion that a bunch of interwoven and intermarried, which is the truth, families should somehow have power and jurisdiction over tracts of land handed out over four or five hundred years ago. I mean, this is the monarchy is this sort of symbol of this outdated feudal system Um, from the Romanovs all the way to the Rothschilds, um, who are a very real family name, by the way, Um, or the German family that the Queen is from. Is this not the Sau Coburgs or something like this? I'm I'm speaking off the top of my head. You can, of course, correct my disinformation as you see fit. It's just just an example of something from beyond antiquity um, and something that is without without a doubt um, outdated. But yet, you know, there is a part of me um, that 
um, thinks there is something to be said for the um, stoic acceptance of serving um, for a lifetime. With it must be said, relative dignity, the nation state and being a figurehead that embodies, what can we say? Uh, something rather ethereal that gives some people within that state hope as something positive. Now, before you curse me for being a royalist, which I certainly am not, the notion itself is daft, I've said it. But I think it's the idea of duty and uh, duty with at least a form of dignity that appeals to me on some level, despite how fantastical and anachronistic the whole thing is. That even while a nation and its public um, and let's be honest, I talk a lot about class in the podcast. The Queen represented certain things um, to a lot of uh, working class people across the UK. Um, and, you know, we all saw, I think we were all, um, people in certain sections of the social media sphere saw that um, our rather vicious tweet by some American um, woke academic who said, who said something like, the vicious tyrant of a massive colonial empire is on her deathbed. Rejoice, 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 etc., etc. You know, the kind of person who would tell you um, on another day to uh, treat people with dignity and respect and be kind. But... Um, had a certain vicious rancor reserved for um, her misunderstanding of history and what it represented. Um, and like I said, that even while, um, you know, a nation and its public, um, what the figurehead can represent. Now, in Ireland, of course, this is something different. The Queen as a figurehead can represent colonialism, empire and ultimately oppression. Um, and that's on a very symbolic and surface and simplistic kind of level. Of course, she and the German royal family she came from had little to do with the occupation of the island of Ireland by our neighbours across the sea. But I get the memes and the boos and the cheers and the fireworks and the pints raised, similar to when Thatcher died. Um, and I get it. Oh, you know, she's harboring paedophiles, etc., etc. I mean, I think that some people should probably also look at the <laughs> the Republican movement as well. They would see something of the same. Um, and probably any movement, they would see something of the same. And I get it. It's a sort of weird situation where you understand all of the points of views expressed. And I try to be as sort of on the periphery of the argument as possible. Um well, the IRA, you know, the IRA tried to assassinate Thatcher. Um, and there is, you know, the Brighton bombing, I think it was 1981 or 1982. And there's no doubt she had a lot to say um, and enact with UK foreign policy that affected the North. Um, but the Queen, well, it feels like more of a form of football tribalism to me. And certainly not one for um, woke US academics who probably don't really understand much about history to weigh into because they see a chance to just put the boot into something European and traditional. So I'm quite torn between not caring at all, I'm not giving a F, um, seeing what it means to regular people, but also the symbolic, um, the symbol, the symbolism of what monarchy and royalism means and what it means to small nations such as this. But what, quite what it's got to do with me, um, why I got asked about it three times in a week is pretty odd. It's pretty odd to say the least. I also got asked a few times about rumours, about controversy, about council culture, about how do you deal with uh, criticism, how do you deal with rumours, and what's the best way to deal with it all. The implication being, um, I felt, why do you not talk about these things in your podcast, in your lyrics, in your interviews? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. People asking me about things which um, sometimes I f 
feel is more like catfishing, looking for me uh, to say something that could be used as a soundbite to get me into trouble. Or perhaps that's just lockdown paranoia speaking. Um, it could also be that. It could also just be an innocent question. Um, people ask me if these things, um, you know, for example, gender or whatever, which I discussed on a small level in the last podcast. But also, 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 how do you deal with rumors on the internet? Well, first things first is I don't. Um, I don't engage really with any of them or anyone anymore. Um, you know, anyone can compile a list of bands, accuse them of X and Y, post it anonymously. And people in their tribe take it as an article of faith. Don't question the content. Um, you know, and overlook glaring untruths or the idea that maybe asking someone for their right of reply or asking them about these any of these things would be um, what somebody who really cared about the answers might do if you consider the weight of the accusation, would be called, I don't know, I suppose, investigative journalism or good faith. But that's not really what is happening when we consider most things. Rumor, controversy, gossip. Um, what we've all realized is that there's no point giving oxygen to articles or statements written in bad faith. At least that's how I look at it. If someone comes with a bad faith argument to the table, to another person, why should they be answered? Why should anyone meet them on, um, let's call it, the battlefield and engage as thus, because that's not what people want. And that's what it is, a battlefield in the culture war. What's true or not becomes irrelevant. The idea that we grow older and change, or that we said before the watchword of the podcast, skepticism is the rational perspective. When people speak to their tribe, very often rationality goes out the window. What am I talking about? Rumor, controversy, criticism. And what's the best way to deal with it? I got asked several times as well. Personally, I think the best way to deal with it is to just not engage. There is no point for somebody who's engaged um, in name-calling or judgment or as part of the culture war, whatever they've decided. Um, speaking to their tribe, you know, they have the bullhorn, they're going to shout in the street. There's no point in engaging. I may comment on the podcast, um, as this is, in a sense, my right to reply, my um, open-ended um, monologue. Um, I may comment in an interview, I may not, but I certainly don't owe it to anyone or anyone to be obliged under any circumstances, and neither should you. But the idea that any conversation should be out of bounds is, of course, a very poor reflection on where society is. But it is what it is. Those are the rules of the game, my friends. What do I think of the new Megadeth? I've been asked now about 10 times. People know I'm a longtime Megadeth fan. Not bad for um, old Dave being 60 years old. Four great songs, four good songs. The rest could be cut, but it sounds reasonably vital and energetic. I'm missing the big stadium um, choruses. I'm missing the hooks. I'm missing some of the euthanasia, um, the big, you know, cryptic writings, kind of trust vibes, um, or the most underrated Megadeth album, which is The System Has Failed. Huge choruses. I'm missing the huge choruses, but it's quite thrashy. It's quite aggressive, um, and it's not bad at all. I also got asked, and this is a question almost for an entire podcast, um, and I think one which I'll put to Joe from Gamma Bomb. What band do I think fell from grace the most, i.e. their musical output dropped off a cliff as part of the Deaf Forever um, mag German magazine, metal magazine, list discussions. Whoa, now that set the old grey matter whirring and ticking. Um... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about... 
work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I just looked at the answers other people had posted. Danzig. Wow. Yeah. Danzig. After the first four it falls off a cliff and even the most ardent Glenn Danzig apologist would have to admit that it has, um, I mean, he's literally made nothing worth listening to since 1994, 1995. Um, Man of War, yep, definitely, most definitely Man of War. I mean, I would contend that up to wars, the world is all still worth listening to, but the last 20, 20 odd years has seen a slew of really awful EPs, but we did get a pretty big body of amazing work. But what I settled on was Bathory. The band that, um, without whom um, Primordial or myself would not be the same. But certainly that feeling from going from Twilight of the Gods to the dreadful um, album that is Requiem, but plunging even further to the even dreadful, more dreadful Octagon in just three or four or five years. This, I think, is the greatest fall from grace. In fact, just fall off a cliff. It's incredible. Um, not even a load or a reload, you know, which are not bad records, um, you know, to give them their due. Um, it's a staggering uh, drop off to go from Through Blood by Thunder, Under the Ruins, to Enter Your Mountain, etc. to um, Pine Road, blah, 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 whatever it is. So I would say Twilight of the Gods to Octagon. This has to be the most incredible fall from grace, right? What do you think? What do you think? Let me know in the comments. That's what you're supposed to say. Is it not... Well, now that I got that little bit off of my chest or whatever it was that I was talking about, who knows what I'm talking about sometimes? I mean, I hope it wasn't that confusing. Um, I was just trying to merely say that sometimes the best way to address criticism, controversy or rumor is to just say nothing at all. But I just spent 10 minutes saying that that's the best way to do it. I should have just really said that. Um, we aren't entitled to know the internal mechanism and workings of everybody's thought process we shouldn't necessarily have to live our lives out in public 
Anyway, what the hell am I talking about? Right, let's get to it. God damn it, the worst gig I ever played. Oh, yes. Hang in there. Hang in there, my fine feathered friends. Well, there was a period maybe about... Um, let me let me try and think of what time period. We're talking here about 2008, maybe 2009, post to the Nameless Dead, um, where Simon missed about three or four gigs um he had some um medical issues at the time uh, there was a bit of friction in the band all sorts of other stuff that's a different story um but uh, what most people don't realize is that when you sign a contract for a gig it's kind of legally binding and if you miss that gig for what's seen as a um unforeseen you know an act of god or whatever it is um, an act of god which is not really quite defined and this is why you saw an awful lot of the arguments between festivals and insurance companies over the lockdown and the pandemic because festivals of course wanted to be paid out and um, insurance companies were like well does this constitute an act of god or an act of fauci or whatever you want to say uh, i don't know but you are due for a um a cancellation fee if you don't appear and usually back then it was a thousand euro so to miss Two or three gigs would have cost the band two or three thousand euro that we certainly did not have. Um, and Simon couldn't play. And we were, you know, we sent, uh, this is quite a long time ago, this is 13, 14 years ago, I guess, 14, 15, 14 years ago. We sent the um, festivals, you know, um, they wouldn't have been screen grabs, but certainly photocopies. Photocopies? No, come on, come on. Scans of um you know doctors notes and stuff saying you know simon is unable to put to attend and perform etc and they just didn't accept them so we had um a festival in hungary i think with heaven shall burn um which passed by relatively relatively okay what happened is that uh, right before uh, you know the weekend before we were figuring out what to do is my cousin um who made the all empires fall dvd um, said I can I can I can do the drums. Um, he was playing in the De Laurentos and a few other bands at the same time, over here in Ireland. And in the end, it seems so crazy now because if Primordial is unprofessional to a point now, as, you know, we are so much more professional than like 2005 to 10, where you were kind of skirting by the seat of your pants through gigs, not knowing that much, still that much about gear or no crew, no front of house, no. Um, not being very well prepared some of the times. But he stood in with Kieran. In fact, I don't think we even rehearsed as a whole band the night before these festivals. And we were playing at Kilkim Zaibu Festival, um, which is in Lithuania. Um, and there are times when, um, I suppose back then I was drinking a lot more. And um, when you feel that... Um, you know, the band, we just released to the Nameless Dead, etc. And the band kind of felt a bit bulletproof. We were taking steps up in the world. We were beginning to move from, you know, stage three to stage two to stage one. But earlier on, things were getting a bit bigger. And we knew we had a killer album in our pocket. And then we had some sort of internal um, strife going on that ultimately got solved and all as well to end well, etc., etc. And all bands go through those periods of flux. But when it's not working out for you, you feel a great pressure as the sort of front man. And um, basically, we, we, I let all of this get to me. And what made the gig so bad? Well, I think what it was, 
what it is is we arrived at this festival maybe it's like you know 1200 people 1400 people destroyer cystic six were playing a bunch of other friends and sometimes you think it's the impetuosity of youth that thinks well you know what would fortify my feelings of um you know you apprehension and because you're a bit apprehensive because you know it's like going into a gunfight with a knife or something like that you're not firing on all your cylinders you're not the most powerful and um, there were certain songs we couldn't play um gareth wasn't really familiar with doing double pedal um at this period there was you know we couldn't really find a solution to the whole drumming thing and you just you knew that the drumming is like the engine of the band and you really have to have it's something that has to be um in full work in order for the band to you know hit that top speed or whatever you want to say awful awful analogy there but you know what i mean um if you're unless you're you know playing in a band that has kind of scuzzy um you know off kilter drumming or whatever and but for a metal band that's requiring needing that power to push it forward having drumming that's running running at 60 70 80% you can sense it you know it you've all seen bands and they've gone you've gone oh the drummer before was better wasn't he etc etc anyway so to fortify that fear, your your young brain goes, I know, I'll get a bit pissed to cope with this, to cope with the stress. And I got f- way, way, way too drunk drinking vodka and um, green tea. It's a pretty good combination, actually. You should try it. Um, and I was pissed. I was pissed. I was pissed by like 5 p.m. And the gig was at 8 and I was sort of being a little bit Gene Simmons about it. I'm going to do fire breathing. I'm going to do some fire breathing. Get me some... Um, lamp oil. Now, when you do fire breathing, um, I taught myself how to do this in a car park in Switzerland. You can't do it with like barbecue fluid or barbecue oil or anything really flammable. You can't because you'll just you'll set your head on fire. You need to use lamp oil specifically. It's for those garden tiki torches um, that you can buy in um, furniture stores or you know in sort of garden stores or whatever. It's very viscous. Very, it's a bit gloopy. Um, you drink a bit of milk, you coat your mouth in milk, try and trim down the bleeding beard or the, um, the uh, ma, have I got a Ronnie? Um, you know, get, get rid of the moustache, etc., etc. Um, and you take a swig of milk. Well, that's at least what I was doing. And then you put the torch maybe eight, nine, ten inches from your face and you pull it in slowly and you kind of try and spit spray out and you do it in one movement in, and then as you pull the fire, the little, you know, the fire away from your mouth, you spray. And if you do it right, you can get a four, five, six foot, foot jet of flame. So I was pissed. and I'm like, I'm going to do fire breathing today. Thinking in my little tiny squirrel brain, this will compensate for maybe, you know, the spectacle will compensate for um, us not being firing on all cylinders. Um, and I might bluff and my bluster and my bravado, my stage charisma will power us through and um, no one really understood what I was talking about I think at the side of the stage Um, and they got me barbecue fluid which when I look back on it I was that drunk I mean I could have literally burned to death on the stage I could have set my entire head on fire and we started and things were a bit messy and a bit slow and I was you know when you're drunk you think oh I'm singing great you ain't singing great you aren't singing great I asked my good friend Ian and now of grave um of Nocturnal Graves, who was in Destroyer 66 at the time. Oh, how was the gig afterwards? And I was drunk. He goes, he goes, ah, oh, mate, uh, yeah, you were kind of, 
you know, rabbiting on. Rabbiting on. I.e. just waffling bullshit, making some ridiculous statements from the stage. I'm kind of glad probably someone nobody filmed saying dumb stuff. Um, trying to, I guess, compensate in your own daft, naive, over-masculine way for um, what probably could have been an okay show if you dialed it down, a bit more understated, concentrated on the slower, darker elements of the band, um, concentrated on being a bit moody, and rather than trying to compensate for aggression with booze and, needless to say, I... I'm completely um, pulled all the enamel off my teeth, I would imagine. I couldn't taste anything for a week. Barbecue fluid. You can't put that in your mouth, and especially you can't try and fire. So you get this little... <laughs> couple of little jets of flame, and like, oh shit, that's not the right stuff to put in your mouth. Um, I couldn't taste anything for a week. Pulled the skin off the inside of my mouth. Thankfully, didn't set my head on fire. But completely through the whole gig, um, just sideways... Um, awful monitors you really should be down there being sober talking to the monitor guy going look we need this we need this this and the other and you know you know you're not perhaps firing on a hundred percent so you compensate with a few other things sonically you can you know put more bass drum in the monitor put more this in the monitor none of it happened i just came down pissed out of my face i need this and this and this made a complete ass of myself and the gig was a complete in my opinion, a complete mess from way, from how I viewed it. Now, some of the songs, I think we played Journey's End, we played some of the slower songs, um, probably sounded okay. But it was that dawning realisation when you wake up the next day and you go, or you're on the way home going, oh, I made a bollocks of that. I really made a bollocks of that. Um, I shouldn't have done that. When what it needed was a steady, sober hand to try and... Um, take control of the situation in a, in a kind of unassuming and quiet way and help everyone out with a positive attitude. Instead, I came in um, full drunk rock star and the whole thing kind of unwound and it's a valuable life lesson. Now, the rest of the evening unwound in lots of whiskey drinking, lots of headbanging to ACDC, jumping around the wooden cabin we were given, um, hanging out with Destroyer, blah, 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 just general mayhem. Um, one member of the band who should go unnamed ended up firing a gun uh, across a lake into um, whatever was on the other side of the lake at about five or six in the morning. One of the security guards had a gun um, who were just sitting there looking at us like the drunk idiots that we were jumping around. Um, the other band with us in the wooden uh, cabin uh, pissed in the sauna. Um, I don't know who they were, but they did it. We did not do it. And we got blamed for that for 10 years and Kill Kim... Um, quite rightfully said to us, your show was a disgrace, your band was a joke. Um, forget about being booked here again. And it wasn't until about four or five years ago we finally managed to redeem ourselves with a proper show at Kilkin. But it hung, hung? You can't hang a stain, can you? It hung around like a bad smell around, um, you know, in the back of my grey matter for 10 years till I was able to fix it. And that's what you want to do is you want to go, oh, for fuck's sake. It's like playing a football match or a sports game or something like this. And you, you get hammered and you go, fucking, when is the next game? I need to redeem myself. And thankfully, the path to redemption was open. Um, you can see some video footage of Primordial playing, doing Rome Burns and a few other things um, on, at Kilkin, which is an amazing festival, by the way, if you ever get the chance to go to it by the shore of a big lake and there's all these um, medieval reenactments. And, you know, it's such a brilliant festival. And we treated it well I treated it um, originally with disrespect and that's a disrespect that comes from 
being an overconfident, bluff and bluster young man. The impetuosity of youth. Young men do silly things. And it taught me a valuable life lesson, which is um, sometimes maybe trying to conquer a fear or feeling of inadequacy. You're better off to do that with a sober hand and a keen eye and try and deal with them in a more grown up way. Even if you are feeling the urge to push things this one goes to 11 all the way into rock and roll territory. Um, you will just end up looking like a bigger ass. And um, on that night in Kilkim Zaibu, most definitely I was the biggest ass at the festival. Um, but you learn. There are other people out there who maybe saw it and went, yeah, it wasn't that bad. It was like five or six out of ten. What you want to do with the, as a band is reach a level where you're always like a bad show is seven out of ten. And there can be many reasons for a bad show technical stuff, gear stuff, all that kind of thing. And you have to be kind of mature enough to cope with it. You have to be mature enough to cope with the fact that, oh, okay, my monitor doesn't work. I'm not going to hear the singing for the whole first song. Or like in Berlin, when the PA just kept clipping, you just have to walk off the stage and come back on two minutes later and try not get too angry. Um, But these things can throw you off when you're inexperienced, especially when um, you're trying to, you know, you haven't learned the craft of stagecraft over, over how to, you know, Trust in your voice, which is, you know, you have to, takes a while when you're starting to sing, starting to get used to having to sing every night. And if you get that first verse wrong, um, because you're feeling a bit apprehensive, it can throw you for the whole show. Now, you've got to take a breath. You've got to go, right, recalibrate. What's, you know, what do I need to do now to get back into the groove and find where we were? This happened at Kelton Back Open Air only the other day um, when... We had some um, we had some sort of problems or other with the bass and the bass amp. And you know something's wrong and the first song doesn't sound great. Then there's a discussion going on between the front of house, side of house. And you have to stand there like a fool uh, while they talk to each other. And the crowd's like, huh, what's going on? Because, of course, they don't know. And then you're left to say things. And giving a singer a microphone and going, hey, will you just talk for a minute or two? Oh, this is the worst. Um, it's up there with all oh, the worst um, afflictions of mankind. Really, it isn't. But what you will do is say dumb stuff and silly stuff and it can totally affect the mood. It can throw you off. What um can be like, you know, you just started to get cooking, get moving, you're feeling like you're into the gig, etc. And then, oh, it just becomes derailed. And dealing with that derailing is a very difficult thing. And you have to realise that, you know, what feels like 20 seconds on the stage to you or let's say to the crowd, which feels like 10 minutes to you, is only really 20 seconds. And if you take stop, if you stop, take stock, you know, lift up that carriage and put it back on the rails and slowly begin the wheels moving once again, you can pick up speed pretty quick and get back to where you were. That, my friends, is um, without a doubt, at least in my head, the worst gig that I ever played. Um, certainly maybe not for the rest of the band. They probably all did their part pretty well, but I did my part pretty badly. And it was a uh, big learning curve, a big learning curve indeed, and one I would hope I learned from. Certainly it took me a couple of years before I kind of knocked the heavy, heavy drinking on the head before um, and during the gig. Um, I still drink, you know, people who know me know this. I'm not going to, you know stand up there like Mustaine on Rogan and go and talk about things as if I don't do them or never did them. You know, God, what a ridiculous comparison. But seeing as we've just been talking about Megadeth, I thought I'd throw that in there. 
Anyway, episode 125 is a is a mixed bag, as they say, of different things and opinions. Um, and this is Agitators Anonymous. And that, to close out the podcast, was the worst gig I ever played. My friends, Agitators Anonymous, Planet Satan, over and out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.